Friends, open your Bibles this morning. We are going to be back in the Gospel of John again, John chapter 15 today. Uh, before we start, I want to just uh, recognize something. I, I, I sensed a peace in the room this morning, maybe a lack of, or a, a, an invitation even as it were. Uh, and that's a good thing to have in church. It's a good thing, especially with a world that's filled with just chaos right now, uncertainty, to step into a room where you feel as though you're invited to be with God, invited to be with each other. That's a good thing. I want to note that very few times are we have a description of actually what Jesus was like. We see that obviously written on all of his uh, actions and those attitudes and the words that he said, but as a description... Matthew's one of the few authors that tells us what Jesus is like, and it says that he is gentle and humble in spirit. Those are the descriptors of our Lord, and uh, anytime that's resident with his body, it's a sign that he's close by. Let's just open our hearts this morning as we get ready to come to the Word and thank God that we have a Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father... We are welcoming you today because we're your people that you love. You say that we are the sheep of your pasture because we are found in you. We're found in Jesus. Lord, we invite you, Holy Spirit, even to come now and speak to us. Just unclog our ears, remove anything that would keep us from having a direct line with you. We want to worship you this morning. We want to know you better. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, we are continuing in the series that I'm calling the the Upper Room Discourse, the second longest teaching that Jesus has with his disciples, only behind the Sermon on the Mount. And let me remind you, for those of you who've been with us for a few weeks, you know this, but for those of you who may be newer with us, It started off with foot washing. That's what Jesus did to kick off this night together with his disciples. Then they had a meal together. And now he is in this time of speaking with them. And he's covering various topics that they need to know before he is going to go and be arrested later that night, be tried and beaten and then crucified the next day. So that's where we are in the story. And today we are in one of the most famous passages that's in the Upper Room Discourse. In fact, I might even say today is one of the most famous passages in all of the scriptures because the metaphor that Jesus uses, the vine and the branches, is just so beautiful and so iconic, and millions of Christians, billions of Christians have gone to this passage just year after year, time after time, when they've needed to say, okay, what is this life of following Christ all like? I have referred many times to the vine and the branches because it's, again, so iconic. But believe it or not, as far as preaching this passage, I've done that one time. One time, John 15, 1 to 11, and you're not going to believe when that was. You know, I had to go kind of look myself. I preached this passage as my very first sermon at CCF on October the 4th, 2003. Here's a picture of my family at that time. (laughs) And I know what you're saying. Yeah, okay, there you go. I know what you're saying. Denise hasn't changed and Brian had hair. And he's changed a lot, all right? That's what pastoring will do for you. 
But that's Christmas that year. And um, this, you know, again, was just an amazing journey for us to obviously come to CCF and have a home here with all of you. So I don't know if you've done the math, but we are celebrating 20 years at CCF this month. Yeah, 20 years. Let me take a little detour because there are two other important anniversaries. Next slide. We have anniversaries for the other two pastors. Do you know that Pastor Eric and Pastor Nick have been with us five years? Five years. I cannot say enough good things about those men. I love them. They are filled with God's wisdom. They are humble. They're capable. Um, I, I love them. They're theologically sound. I, I, I just, I can't say enough good things about them. And the Lord is so blessed to have them here as pastors at CCF. So I want to, again, commend them for their fine work and just recognize, again, they've been with us for five uh, whole years. I hope it's many more. Well, I want to uh, start off where I started 20 years ago, and I want to tell you a little something about what I said that day, and I want to use it as a bouncing off spot for uh, where we're headed. Back in 2003, I had just interviewed, and the interview process for becoming a pastor is no easy one. I contend that it's maybe even more difficult than getting into the CIA, because they can ask any question they want. No, no things are off limits, and you're just like feeling like, okay, here's another one. And I will remember my last uh, interview, uh, it was an, an evening, and people were asking all kinds of questions. And uh, this is what somebody uh, asked me. They said, what will it take to be a successful church? And translated uh, at the time that I preached this 20 years ago, I said, pastor, again, they're asking this question with good intent, pastor, how do you grow the church? And you might be tempted to say, I mentioned at that time, and you have to understand something about my response at that time, this building was an old, dilapidated former high school. It had not been renovated yet. All the stage, everything you see here was old and worn out. In fact, we even had a roof that was leaking. And so if you were sitting in this area right here, you might be getting rain on you right now because that's where the building was. The building also had a lot of things that were less than perfect, the bathrooms being one of them. The women just complained constantly about the bathrooms. I mean, it was just bad. I mean, they said, I'd rather go to the porta potty, all right? I mean, it was just that bad. We did not have the building across the street. The building across the street was owned by this group, but it was just a kind of an auxiliary building. It had formerly been uh, a shop for the high school, and then it turned into a library for a while. So it was just kind of a nothing building. So everything you kind of see was not in place. We were as, as a congregation, but that's about all. I said this. We might be tempted to answer the question by saying, oh, we'll grow as a church if we can finally get our own building. And while we're at it, can we have a facelift to those bathrooms? We might grow if we can finally get our vision lined up, or we might grow if we can fill the staff vacancies. And there were many of them at that time. We might grow if we could finally get those elders whipped into shape. Yep, that was you know, the thought at the time. 
And of course, I wrote to myself, and that's some of the greatest work, and it has to begin with me. I wrote at that time, I'm not against having a nice building or a full staff team or a fully functioning group of great elders. Those are all such magnificent and good things. But those by themselves are not where you anchor your hope. (laughs) They're not where you anchor, anchor what you expect and what you desire to be as a church for the future. Where do we anchor that? Well, we anchor that in a full and very vibrant renewal. It's a time of spiritual awakening that happens within the people of God. That's where it has to reside, and that's something that God delivers out of his goodness and out of his peace to us. So today, that's what I want to talk about. That's what John 15 is going to talk about, is how do we have a roadmap to a fruitful life? How do we have the roadmap to a life in which it's honorable and good before God? And that's what Jesus wants to tell us today, wants to speak in very plain terms about using this metaphor, a beautiful metaphor of the vine and the branches. So let's read the passage and then let's get into it. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, I'm the vine... And my father is the vine dresser, also translated the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may become, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine." Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that you that your joy may be in excuse me, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The vine and the branches is likely referring to grapes, which are, again, uh, harvested and grown all over Israel. You'll notice in the passage, Jesus does not say grapes, but you might infer it by all of the language that's used there and because it is so iconically, again, grown in Israel. I have several pictures I'm going to be showing you, but this is one I want to show you today as I tell you some very interesting thing things about grapes. Did you know that grapes are the most widely grown fruit in all of the world? Think about that. Of all the different kinds of fruits that are grown, you have apples and oranges and all kinds of things like that. Grapes are more prolific than all of those, the most grown fruit in all of the world. Grapes come in various colors and sizes and flavors, and they are eaten three different ways. They can be a table grape that you eat just fresh, They can be a raisin, or of course, they can make their way into wine. 
Grapes are always taking uh, the form of needing to be engrafted in, in into a main uh, stock or a, a, a main vine. So they have to reside by being grafted into an existing stock. And that stock has got to be having a lot of attentive care. It has to have water and fertilizer and pruning. We'll learn more about that in just a moment. The grapevine is part of Israel's national emblem. In other words, Israel as a nation closely identifies herself with the vine or with the, the grapevine uh, as a metaphor for, again, how God has uh, used them. You have to take yourself back to Jesus' day. And in Jesus' day, again, Israel would have considered herself God's special plant. Why? Because God took her out of Egypt, took her out of slavery, and then planted her as the nation in Israel as, again, his promised people. And so, again, that's the framework that, again, the Jews are taking. Now, again, scholars have talked a lot about this, but there was at that time in the temple a golden vine of grapevine that was in the temple that you could see. And again, it was representing, again, their, their notion that they are God's special people. In the Old Testament, there's many times that this notion of, again, Israel being the vine of God or the grapevine of God, it's prolific, it's all over the place, but oftentimes it's said with a level of sadness or disappointment. Isaiah 5 is a good example of that. In Isaiah 5, we're told that God had taken Israel, planted her in the, the special land, had given her all kinds of, of good care. She was in fertile soil, but she kept on producing bad grapes. She, she, they, she kept on producing grapes that were not for any good, and not for any good consumption. And so Israel is, has this notion of being this special vine, but again, of being disappointing because they had constantly failed. And so God has set Israel aside for this purpose, but she's not producing it. It's into this environment Jesus steps in and he says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener and he is declaring something. He is saying, I am that rootstock. I am what is the faithful vine that God has planted, and all of the growth that you have is going to come out of me. In fact, there's no growth, the spiritual growth, that come, can come outside of Jesus. He is the method for spiritual growth. So today we might ask the question, what does it take to be a successful church, or what does it take to be a successful Christian? And again, I might add... Uh, <laughs> Successful is not a word that's even in the New Testament. So we would be asking that question, and that word wouldn't even be there. Here's the way God would change that just slightly. He would say, what does it take to be fruitful? What does it take to be used by God? What does it take to be pleased, pleasing to God? What is the life that it takes, and how do we do this in order to be pleasing or fruitful before God? And that's what Jesus is answering for his disciples let me give you three ways that we are successful, or in this case, fruitful again, in the eyes of God. And this is from Jesus to his disciples, again, upper room. The step one of that fruitful life is that we abide in the vine. I'm back at verse four. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I've got another picture here of some more vines. And what I want you to really take a look at here is that gigantic trunk 
you can see, again, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm acting as this trunk or this main vine, and then you as the church are the branches that go off, to, uh, off of it. In this case, you notice there, the, there's a trellis there, and the trellis is what's supporting all those branches. And then the gardener is, again, God who's coming, and he's tending after the entire farm. He says this, in order to lead a fruitful life in God, you have to be a branch that is connected to that big stump or that vine. You cannot lead a, 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 a fruitful life before God unless you are remaining attached to that main vine. To remain, uh, to remain or to abide are the same word, just different uh, translators have, have, have used that, that word uh, translated from the original They've used that word by choice, but they mean the same thing, to abide or remain. And it means to remain with somebody or within somebody. It means to have their same heart or mind or will. And Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. And we can't have any spiritual growth unless we are uh, remaining attached to the main vine. I don't know if you knew this or not, but again, grapes are some of the most prolific of all fruits grown. One, one plant can produce up to 80 pounds of fruit in a single year. And in addition to that, one of those main stumps or one of the main vines, it can be up to 100 years old and keep producing. So it's just a very prolific plant. And that's the way you know a healthy plant is, is it producing fruit? Is it producing grapes? I can still remember when I grew up, my dad and I fished on the Feather River in Northern California. We'd take a boat out. We'd normally be fishing for salmon. And it was late summer, and we would be pulling up right into this area where we knew that there were some wild grapevines, and we would pick the conquered grapes right off of the plant. And man, we just put those in our mouth, and it was an explosion of flavor. And you just knew every year you could go to that spot, and you could get these grapes, and you knew that they were healthy vines because you could taste the evidence of that. That's what Jesus is saying here is you can tell a healthy plant because it is producing fruit. It's producing grapes that are good to eat or make wine out of or make raisins out of. And that's, the, again, the byproduct of a plant that remains connected to the vine. Here's what I want you to hear. Did you know that if you took the branch off the vine and maybe you kept it kind of wet and maybe in some good medium, that uh, branch would continue to grow and maybe even produce some leaves for you? I've got some plants in my yard, a hydrangea plant specifically. If I cut that and I put that out in my kind of a garden area, it will continue to produce little, uh, little feeders that, that are like little roots off of it, and even some little leaves will still, still grow off it. But guess what it will not do? If that branch is ever severed from that vine, it will never produce a grape. Impossible to produce a grape. The, the branch has to be grafted into the vine, into the main stump, or there's no production out of it. And so there has to be a constant abiding. There has to be a constant remaining inside of that stump or there will be no fruit. I think almost everybody in this room, maybe less a few people, has a cell phone. And one of the things that you do religiously with your cell phone Every night for me, I'm on my way to bed, plug in the cell phone, right? If I don't plug in the cell phone, at some point during the day, it's running out of juice, and the thing that, you know, is so useful in life in so many ways is useless. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a little brick at that point. 
you have to have your cell phone, as it were, abide with the electricity or not working, and your life is the same way. You must remain or abide in Christ. There is no spiritual production that happens outside of you remaining inside of Jesus. All right, that's the first step. Abide in Christ. Remain in Him. Have the attitudes and the desires that He has. And you're walking with Him in regular ways like speaking to Him in prayer, reading His Word, staying with God's people, uh, maybe having an attitude about yourself that's not too large but not too little. And so again, all of these ways are ways that we are abiding or remaining in Christ and we cannot grow outside of that. All right, the second role is a little bit more difficult because it involves being pruned. I'm in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I have here another picture of another vineyard, and this time I'm getting a little bit more technical because there's some things I want to tell you about what happens with a a vine and what happens with a great vineyard. You'll notice that the trunk area is also called the rootstock and the trunk area. That's what Jesus would all call, again, the vine. And then you notice the branches actually have some other technical words to them. So they have the arms and the cordon and the shoots. All of that is what Jesus would say would be the, the, the branches. And so, again, that's a broad term that he would use for all of those. Here's what's interesting to know is when you are starting a vineyard and you have an initial plant, you will not produce any fruit on that plant for three to five years. All you're doing is you're taking the branches and you're training them onto the trellis and you keep on cutting them so that they are taking the right form. Finally, they are at the right form and they're mature enough and you're now going to begin to grow fruit. And every year... You are coming along and you're saying, wow, okay, look at all those shoots or those canes. There's too many of them. So I need to take two or three of them off. Snip, snip, snip. There's one branch that's getting a little bit out of the way here. I think it's going to do something I don't want it to do. Snip, snip, snip. And so you're constantly going and manicuring or slicing portions of that plant off in order that it will be producing the maximum harvest that it possibly can. And that takes a very good uh, grower, it takes a very good gardener to be able to do that in the right way. Jesus says that's the Father. He always knows the way to do that best. So here's what you need to know. If you are in Christ, you can count on the fact that your life is going to be trimmed or pruned in some way. It's going to happen. God is going to trim in some way, and it could be a rather painful process, Because he wants to create a maximum growth in your life. What are some ways that he might trim us? He might trim us in our achievements or our abilities, maybe in our life circumstances. He may give us certain challenges. For some, he even gives persecution or allows that in order that there might be a greater fruitfulness in our lives. More production, a full harvest. That's what he wants out of your life. And if he's snipping away or cutting in any ways, it's for that ultimate goal and that ultimate purpose. So that would be what I would call the very constructive side of pruning. There's another side of pruning that is perhaps 
less desirable. And the other side of the pruning is one in which he is taking off literally dead plants. He's taking parts of the plant off, maybe we'd call it limb removal, but there's a branch that's not producing at all. And so he's saying, I want to tell you, there's two kinds of pruning. There's a pruning that's very constructive and just for you know, making the plant as productive as possible. But then there's another kind of pruning that's taking a branch out that has never really lived up to its calling. It's not doing what you want it to do. Now, many of you know that I love gardening myself. In fact, I have plants indoors. I have plants outdoors. I love to be in my garden. I love to be in my yard area where I'm growing all kinds of things. I have six orchids right now, and I have a picture of two of my orchids that are in bloom. And Denise can testify there's one of those that I think has been blooming for like six months. I mean, it's just fantastic. It just keeps on going. The other thing about me as a gardener is I am a pretty patient gardener, especially when it comes to orchids. Because orchids have a spike that comes up, and that's what produces the, the beautiful uh, flower. But those spikes, well, they can go away and then come back. And so you have to be patient with the plant and give it just the right environment for it to produce another spike. Well, there's times in which I have a plant and I care for it for months, maybe even years, and it doesn't produce a spike. And after a while, I'm like, do I want to give more care to this plant if it's never going to fulfill its purpose in actually producing that beautiful bloom. And, you know, I usually I'm, I'm waiting way too long. I mean, I probably waited two or three years, four years for it to produce its, its spike and it's not doing it. And with reluctance, I'll take it and I'll go, oh, okay. You know, you're onto the, you're onto the compost pile. And, you know, it's with like a heavy heart I do that. It's like, no, I really do love you, but ugh, here you go going to create room for something else that I want to give some time to. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is to say, I am going to give every opportunity for the branch to grow. But if the branch is dead, if the branch is all it's doing is now clogging up the plant, in fact, it's really going to infect the rest of the plant. And I can't have that. I'm going to remove that branch and this is what, again, Jesus says. Uh, I have the verse up here for you. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches, oh, wow, here's the tough language, are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I mean, Jesus is even like evoking hell language here, if I could say so. And he's saying that's how severe a branch that's not growing and that's dead is going to be uh, taken care of. There's a lot of debate about what Jesus means by this, the branch that's thrown away withers and uh, it burns. And there's three main views on what Jesus means by this. I want to give you those real quickly. I'll give you what I think is the interpretation I have for this. And you know, I just want to make sure we're all kind of tracking on this. Here's the next slide. Burn, removed branches are, uh, burned branches are those that have uh, lost their salvation. There's some that believe there were some people that were following Christ, aren't anymore, and so they're the dead branch, and they're what's, what's removed. It could be burned branches or removed branches are those who are Christians but have lost an eternal reward. So you get the idea there that they're still in Christ, but they've lost some sort of reward as a result of their disobedient behavior and their withering. Or number three, burned branches are those who are professing Christians but who are not truly saved. 
And so, again, they may give all the outward signs that they have come to know Christ, but inside they have not been transformed. They are not in Christ because, again, they are not connected to him in that way. Here's what I think. I think the answer to this is probably number three, and this is why I say so. I think all the disciples around the table are quite well aware of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, everybody would have said, oh my gosh, he's one of the followers of Jesus. But if you look more carefully at his life, his actions display he was never really one who knew Christ at all. He knew of him, but he would not call himself again one who was a loyal follower of his. And Jesus recognizes, no, Judas, you're a betrayer. That's what you are. You're a betrayer at heart. And so again, I think even for the disciples, they would have said, oh yes, we understand this. The, the one that branch that's withering is the person who never really knew Christ to begin with. Some show a good show of that. Others are complete deniers all the way. But the branch that is removed is the one, again, that has never really been in Christ to begin with. Dead branches don't make it. And so, again, I want to review what I've said here about this second section. You're going to be pruned. There's a good pruning and a bad pruning. The good pruning, all of us who are in Christ are going to be pruned for more fruitfulness. The bad pruning, as it were, is, the again, the dead branch that has to be removed and taken away. And unfortunately, again, there are many in our world today that will fall into that category. They will be considered, again, a dead branch, and they will be uh, burned, as it were, as Jesus says. All right, the third aspect of fruitfulness is this final thing. It's keeping Christ's words. This is verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And so Jesus expands, again, on what it means here to uh, abide in him. And he says, basically, it's my words are abiding inside of you. I'm letting Christ's words have a spot inside of my heart. His words, his commands, they have a ready reception with me. And my first reaction is saying, yes, I want to do that. I want to be obedient to that. And we can so get off track when we define for ourselves what we think should be the way of life or what should be an important matter in society and we don't let God be the final arbiter of that, that's when we get ourselves into trouble is when we think we know better than what he knows. Some of you have been to the doctor and uh, some of you have had kids or maybe yourself and the doctor has said, wow, I think there might be a low-grade infection here. I want to give you an antibiotic. And so the doctor prescribes the antibiotic. You take that home and he says, by the way, make sure and take the full course of that. Seven days. Yep, got it. You take it home, you start taking the antibiotic, and lo and behold, after two days, you're like, wow, thumbs up, I am feeling great. And so you're like, I don't even know if I need to take the rest of that antibiotic. And so you just put it off to the side and you go on. About another week later, you're like, huh, I am not feeling well again. And if you go back to the doctor, he says, well, did you take the full round of antibiotic? No, I thought I knew better than you did. You know, in my advanced degree on WebMD, you know, I, I'm reading all my own stuff. And he's saying, I don't think you've got the medical degree. You should have listened to me. You take the full round of the antibiotic, even if you don't think that's the best course, because, again, studies have said that's what good medicine really requires. That's the same with us. We might think we know better, but we don't. And if we're going to be fruitful for God, we have to let Christ's words abide in us. What do I mean by that? 
I, I mean that his attitudes, the thing that he likes, we like. His attitudes, the way he views something is the way now we say, I want to view it that way. The way we treat people, the way he does, the way we want to. And so his words are taking up residence inside of us and changing us. I need to tell you, when I first became a Christian, I, again, did not grow up in a church. I did not grow up in a Christian family. I grew up on the left coast, so you can imagine we were a pretty liberal folk. And one of the things that I can still remember is I came to know Christ, and I was decidedly pro-abortion. I mean, I had fully just learned all the mantra, again, of the left, left coast, Again, hands off my body and uh, a woman's choice, and I knew all the phrases and everything, and I was like, you know, hey, this, this is the, the way that, you know, society should be. I had some Christian friends who came to me and said, hey, Brian, have you ever looked at the scriptures on this at all? Have you ever looked at any passages? I said, no, honestly, I haven't. And they said, could we just talk for a few minutes using Psalm 139? And Psalm 139 says... I made you, I knit you together in your mother's womb. In other words, God has agency over people. God is actually the one creating people. And I had a choice at that moment. And the choice was, do I continue to go on with what I think is right, Brian's logic, or do I actually say, I wish to fall in line with God's way? with God's view, with the way that he talks about the creation of people. And I have to say, that day I changed my mind about that topic. Why? Because I wanted to be in line with where God was more than I wanted to be in line with where society was. And that has to be the case with all of us. In a room this size, um, I think it's a high probability that uh, there's some young lady here, a woman here, who has probably had an abortion. And there's probably some man here who has encouraged a woman to do that. And let me remind you, not the unforgivable sin. Like all sins, what does it take? It takes a level of repentance. It says, hmm, that was a wrong thing for me to do. And I wish to be forgiven for that, and I wish to be restored before God. It, it's that simple. I, I, know, I know that just like, wow, it's really like that? Yeah, it's really like that. That's what God wishes, is for our thinking, for Christ's words to so abide in with us that we're just saying, oh, that wrong way of thinking, I don't want anymore. I want to adopt the way that God would want me to think about that and want me to move on from there. God knows me better than I even know myself. I want a heart, I want a soul that is fertile soil for what God wishes to plant there. And that's why I want to, again, abide in Christ's words. All right, let's try to apply this to our lives. God wants you and me to have a fruitful life. He wants us to produce many grapes. And it's the natural condition of a healthy life is that you are producing all kinds of fruit. In order to be that vibrant and healthy and productive plant, he encourages us to remember three things. First of all, we have to remain in Christ. We have to remain in that vine. There is no life outside of a, a disconnection. We are not going to have any production if we are disconnected from Jesus. Number two, accept pruning. Most times, that's not going to feel very good in the moment, but the pruning is happening so that there's a greater production later. 
And number three, remain in the words of Jesus. Have his perspective even ahead of our own perspective. And I wonder today, which of those is most important to you? Which of those is the one that God is saying, I want to come to you and I want to have a reformation, as it were, in that area. I want you to take that more seriously or I want you to begin to practice that. Which one of these is the Holy Spirit saying is for you today? Have you strayed from Jesus? Maybe you're not connected to him in the way that you would hope or want to be. It's never too late to come back. And so he's saying, just come. I'm one that's welcoming and I'm wanting to have that tender union with you. Have you become bitter perhaps because God has allowed something in your life that you don't much like? And I'm here to ask, is it potentially because God is saying, I'm pruning now for a greater production later. And so I don't want your bitterness. I I want you to have hope that I'm actually doing something good, even in the midst of that trial or that circumstance right now. And of course, number three, have you veered away from Jesus' views or the Bible's views on important aspects of life? Let me give you a couple of examples. Have you forgotten the creeping deceit of wealth? and how it can corrupt every area of our lives. Have you maybe fallen prey to the sweeping agenda today in our nation that says basically you can choose your own gender? An affront to God. It's like, no, I I created male and female. That's not the way I want you to lead life. Have you perhaps sucked down the dangerous philosophy that says, oh, there's all paths lead to God. Just, Just be sincere about what you do. In the middle of that, Jesus says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And so it's so easy, again, to have our attention be veered away from our loyalty, our devotion to Christ and his words. Today, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come into your lives and to address whatever area it is that he wants to have refreshed so that maximum production can happen in your lives. Maximum fruit because that's what God is all about. Let me also just say, there may be some here today that never have received Jesus as Savior. Maybe, you know, you've heard a little bit about Jesus, but you haven't really said, oh, wow, I need Jesus. And it comes a point in time in which I say yes to him and the gift that he's giving, which is, again, forgiveness and eternal life, as well as his Holy Spirit, of all these things that he's doing to reform and restore me on the inside, And if today you have not done that, this passage is perfect. It says, Jesus is that vine. Be a healthy branch. Be connected to him. And it takes that first step of saying, I wish to have you as my savior and be the Lord of my life, the one to lead in all directions. Perhaps today would be your day for doing that. I wonder what the Spirit is saying to you right now. I hope that you'll be obedient to whatever it is that he's asking you to do in order that you might change and that you might allow him to do all of his internal work that's for his glory because Jesus is the vine, you're the branches, and apart from him, he says, you can do nothing. Let me leave us in prayer. Father, I first of all want to lift individuals in this room who maybe said, oh, yes, (laughs) I have never really trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've heard about Jesus. I'd have even a good opinion about Jesus. But I haven't said, I need him. And I need him for life. I need him for forgiveness. I need him for cleansing. 
And so for those individuals, Lord, it's as easy as saying yes to you. It's as easy as saying, Lord, I have been wrong, you have been right, and I wish to be corrected now through the power of Jesus, forgiven completely, and have new life that's being installed in me. Lord, would you glorify yourself by drawing those individuals today. For the rest, Lord, we have some soul-searching to do, some heart-searching to do. What is it that we need to have happen in order to arrive at maximum production, fruit-bearing on behalf of the kingdom of God? Is it that we need to remain? Is it that we need that extra pruning right now? Is it that we need to take more seriously what your words are and we need to be controlled by them rather than controlled by ourselves? Whatever it is, Lord, come now and do the work that you do so well. We love you. We affirm today, Father in heaven, you are the gardener doing all of the good work. Jesus, you are the vine which produces life And we are those branches that wish to glorify you with the fruit that we produce. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.